0: Let me, let me pray for the word, and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, thank you for speaking to us. Lord, we know that um, people can come up here and speak and teach, but Lord, only you speak to us, Lord, than any other person ever could. And so this morning, God, we just ask that you would speak to us right where we're at. Um, that's our prayer, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. I want you guys to, uh, if you're here this morning, I want you to just open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We've been going through a series about talking about Jesus coming in the flesh. And we've been talking a lot about what it means to be like Christ. How that's something naturally, as you grow close to Jesus, you begin to look more like Christ. That you were made in God's image and you were made to not only be like Christ, but also to be Christ to others around you. Last week, if you were here, we talked a lot about this idea that people are, we love people that are different from us, that when you're like Jesus, you have this ability to lay down your life for people who even disagree with you, you know, and it, it crosses cultures, it crosses boundaries, and this week we're going to continue talking about kind of the relationship with one another, but on a much more practical note, but I also just want to talk about this scripture because it's a heavier one up front, so you guys aren't caught off guard by it, in 1st, or uh, in Corinth, the place that Paul wrote this letter, 1st Corinthians, it was a church that was messy to say the least. It was like Vegas on steroids, amen? Like, it was, it was an unhealthy place. There was wickedness happening everywhere. Sexual immorality kind of rampant around that day. And yet, what you saw happen was, you saw God do a mighty work, and you saw these people come and be saved who were living a certain lifestyle and living in a certain way under certain bondages, get saved and delivered by God. But the work of learning about what it meant to be a Christian and how to live in that, coming from the lifestyle that they did was quite a process that Paul undertook. Paul owned that, and Paul was a part of that community. He's like, you guys are my family. I don't care how messy you are. We're family together, and we're we're believers, and we're going to learn this. And so... Sometimes in scripture, and most times often not, you see teachings, you know, and you see commands from God, especially in the letters. But something that I love is that you don't just see those, but you see actual real-time stories happening in their day and age, like looking in their mail and looking at what's going on. And so it would be the difference between somebody standing up here and saying, this is what God says, this is what you should do, versus like sitting down With someone and saying, hey, tell me about your life. Let's talk about what's going on. Or if there was a real issue going on, saying, all right, as Christians, let's figure out what this means with one another. You see that happening in the Bible as well. And you see it happening in the scripture. You see a real, real issue happening in the scriptures. And so we're going to pick it up. Paul goes right into it in chapter 5. And this is what the word says. It says, it is actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. By pagans, they mean like unbelievers, and so there's a sexual immorality going on that even the world is like, whoa, that's, that's pretty wicked, and it says, a man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud, not just the act of it, but they're proud of it, and so when we say that Corinth is, is a messy place, we ain't joking, amen? Amen? (laughs) Shouldn't you have rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord, Jesus, on the one who has been doing this. So when you're assembled and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present... Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. We'll walk through this as well if you struggle to understand it. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, But with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now I want you to make a note of kind of Paul's change of direction here. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, greedy, swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister. But a sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler, do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Can you guys say Amen with me? This is definitely a heavier scripture. This is an honest scripture at that. And one of the things that I appreciate so much about the Bible, and that we get to appreciate, is that the Bible doesn't skip over the messy parts the dark, deep stuff of life, and so when you think of your own life and the things that you struggle with, or maybe the things that you've seen in your life, and you wonder if God cares, or you wonder, you know, does God really work in those situations? You have to look no further than his own word, that there are real issues being dealt with that God wants to bring to the light, that God wants to wrestle through, kind of in the same way that he does here. And one thing I want to just make known, just to debunk about this scripture, is that it's not just, this isn't a scripture about Paul just kicking someone out because they sinned. That's not what the scripture is. And there's so much going on in it that it's important for us to take a deep look at how it's functioning and how they're relating to one another. Because it teaches us about that. But Paul does something interesting in the midst of it. He's addressing believers on behalf of how to handle a certain particular situation but then he goes into separating two categories because then he begins to talk about outsiders. He's dealing with an inside issue amongst believers, but then he begins talking about non-believers or unbelievers in that way and how to relate to them well. And Paul does something interesting here. He separates kind of people into these separate categories that there's a difference between believers and non-believers. Say believers with me. Say non-believers with me. Now... When he makes that distinction, it's important to understand how we're to relate to people differently. That's not just saying there's favoritism, that there is a different way, oh, because you're, you like someone more than another person. It's not even talking about, like, categories of people. Does that make sense? So, like, you would treat a parent different or you treat a teacher different than maybe your peer. And you treat a peer different than maybe, you know, a teammate or a younger sibling, something like that. So, it's more than just that. What Paul is talking about is this specific category that when it comes to loving people, when it comes to being like Jesus to the people around us, that it comes across differently to the different people that are around us. And so that's where it begins to talk about believers and unbelievers. Both of them are actually absolutely needed for your own faith. When you think about your own life and you think about what's healthy for you, did you know that the Bible talks about it's healthy to have both believers in your circle But it's also healthy to have unbelievers in your life as well. Isn't that interesting that God would make that a command? He says to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, a.k.a. go into the world where there are places where Jesus isn't, or Jesus isn't acknowledged as Lord, and teach them, show them who Christ is. That that wasn't just an option necessarily, but that was a command that God gave to us. And so we have a God. That gives us the command to join with one another as a family, but also gives us the command to go out and have non-believers a part of our own faith, reaching and loving them and laying down our lives. And so what I would just say about this is that when you when you talk about like Christian friends and non-Christian friends, I think you can fall to one of two extremes. I think both of them are unhealthy. And the one extreme, the first one is this. Maybe this is you in the room. That you're someone in here that doesn't have really any deep friendships with Christians. Maybe all your deep friendships are with non-Christians. When I grew up, I didn't have any friends in church. I knew of people, and I knew Christian people, but I didn't have friends that were pushing me towards Jesus, running the race in my own faith to Jesus And that. All my friends were outside of the church. They didn't know Jesus. They were more kind of relational through other things. Maybe that's you in this room. Maybe you're here, you don't even want to be at church because your parents made you, you know? And maybe that's you in this room and you're like, well, I seem to be doing fine right now, but so what's the big deal about that? Well, on a couple notes, the the difficulty about that extreme is that when you're surrounded by people who aren't committed to Jesus in the same way as you, that that begins to become your own reality. Did you know studies have shown that the people that you share community close with in your life have more power over your decision-making than your own convictions. Did you know that? That even if you believe in something, even if you're convicted in something in a certain area of your life, if the people around you are saying otherwise, because of the relational community around you, you'll most likely do that. That's where temptation, that's where oftentimes when people say, man, I just feel like I can't follow the Lord, I can't do anything right, I can't step out of sin... And then you look at their lives and you look at the friendships and oftentimes more than not, there's unhealthiness to it. And oftentimes it's, an, it's not intentional necessarily. It could be a difficult situation at home. It could be just a difficult place at school that's around you as well. But it's important to acknowledge how when that's your only surroundings and you're not connected to a body pursuing Jesus together, that it could weigh on you. Amen? Amen? The other side of it Which is equally as dangerous, might I just admit, is you only have friends that are Christians, and you have no friends, or you have no connection to people that are non-believers, other than paying your Visa card at the cashier to the Chipotle person, amen? You know, it's like, yeah, I'll leave a tip, yeah, I killed it today. You know, like, this is so much more dangerous as well, equally as dangerous is what I would say, because maybe you're someone in this room and you you literally do not know someone that is a non-Christian because of your sphere and your circle of people that you share with. And the reason that can be dangerous is because when you begin to surround yourself only with that, God made you in such a way to not only live in community, but to move forth from that community and be Jesus as a witness. And so it could be a comfort thing. Maybe you're like, man, I'm just really comfortable coming and being a part of a body like this. Or maybe it's like a fear thing where you're like, I'm afraid to go into the world, you know, in that way and get polluted by it or fall into something like that. And that fear drives you to an extreme to have no relationship or any contact whatsoever. And the, the thing that can really hurt in your own heart is this is that, and that can hurt you in your faith is that it becomes this kind of cloud around you, and you begin to lose perspective on what's happening around you and what is God and what is not around you. Because when you are surrounded by a culture, everybody say culture. We talked about that last week and how God is above culture and that when when your God that you worship becomes only the size of your culture, then it will die with that culture as well. When you're surrounded by this Christian culture and not on Jesus necessarily, Then, you can go through the motions. Then, you can become a Christian without Jesus' help. Amen? Like, and I would just say that if you can be a Christian without God, that's probably not the best place to be in. Amen? Like, if you can pursue God in your own way, but not actually interact with Jesus, not actually need Him or rely on Him, that's a dangerous place to be in your own faith. But to have both of them, not one extreme or the other, but to have both. If you have Christian brothers and sisters, not just knowing people at church and knowing their names, but truly people who know you inside and out, have a depth with that are like an anchor for you. they are people that you can lean back on when you're struggling, when you're weak, when you want to grow. There are people that push you in your faith to be as close to Jesus as you could possibly be. When you have that, but you also have this... Faith and this stepping out of your comfort zone to reach the people around you. When both of them are together, you're unstoppable in your faith. And you flourish in your faith. Because on one hand, you're reaching out with the gospel. But you're doing it out of the power and the family that God has provided for you. Amen? Both are needed. That's why Paul spoke the way that he did about them in this passage. That he makes these distinctions. And I want to talk practically about each of them this morning in really practical terms. And so can I get nods? Yes, I'm tracking. What are you talking about? Just kidding. Um, And so the first one I want to talk about is this, being Jesus to one another as believers. All right? What does it mean to be like Jesus to one another, to those who have claimed Christ in their own lives? Well, for one thing, it means that we have this call to love one another the same way that Jesus does. We share these relationships amongst us that are actually a witness to the world. And so when you look at the world, when you look at media, when you look at politics and you see them biting each other's heads off, amen, probably see that, probably talk about that a little bit. When you see bullying happen, when you see absolute slandering happening on each side, hate just brewing between people around us in the world, that what, it, what Jesus says is, That's going to happen in the world for people who don't know Jesus. That's going to be natural. But then that world, and they're wanting something more, are going to look at us, the church, and they're going to see all these different people of different backgrounds, different demographics, and they're going to go, how do you guys get along? You guys, like, love each other right now. Why is that? And we get to say, well, it's because that's what Jesus taught us to do. That's how Jesus loves us. That it's supposed to be a witness in itself to the world. That our greatest evangelism to the world is simply the way that we love each other. It doesn't necessarily need to interact with the people around us, even though he calls us to that. But loving one another isn't just necessarily being nice and sweeping real issues under the rug. Can you guys say nice with me? I I struggle with the word nice for a couple reasons. Because it's like, you need to be nice to each other and you're like... Hey, how's it going? I really don't like you, but <laughs> good to see you. Nice has this idea that you're like putting on a facade, but what it says, it doesn't say love is nice. It says love is kind. That it's like you're making this statement in your life and in your heart to say, I'm going to be respectful. I'm going to be nice to you and kind to you no matter what and be okay with that. So it's not just pretending everything is necessarily fine. It's a place That we get to be open with one another. This is a place where we get to be open and love each other at the same time. The good, the bad, and the absolute ugly with what's going on in our lives. But it's also a place where we get to bring it to Jesus who leads us, grows us, and heals us. I think a good way to describe it, maybe you've heard this before. It says, like, come as you are to church. It's come as you are, but be hungry to change. Because In that same way, we get to wake up every day and we get to say, God, I want you to change me. God, I want you to grow me in this area. I don't want to be satisfied with right where I'm at right now. God accepts you today for who you are, but he also has a passion and an excitement for tomorrow's you as well. Sometimes we think that God wants us to be tomorrow's version of us and that he doesn't accept today's version The other side of it is we think today's version of us is good for us and that we don't need to worry about tomorrow at all. And then that begins this process of stopping to try to pursue Jesus because we think we just got him and it's over with. But what if it was about accepting Jesus right where we're at and in one another, amen? Amen? And pushing each other to a different place in our own faith. I want to look at this story because it's an interesting example about that honesty but also that pushing each other to Jesus farther because it could be easy just to think that Paul was like, oh, just kick them out. They just sinned. But it's so much more than that in this story because it's not because this guy sinned with sexual immorality that he got kicked out. He says in the scripture that there's sexual immorality among you and it says, and you are proud of it. In fact, in verse 6, it says, you're boasting. They were boasting about that happening in their church. That's a real issue, amen? You know, because it could be easy to think, oh, if I screw up, I'm going to get kicked out of church. That's what it's saying here. No, it's not. It's not saying that. What it's saying is this. There's a big difference between stumbling and rebellion in your faith. Amen? That if this person was like, coming forward and saying, hey, I just stumbled, I made a mistake, I really need help in this. That's a whole different story than someone like, look what I just did, I'm the man, and just utterly boasting about his sin. That's toxic, and that's, that's hurtful, not only to themselves, but to the people around them. That creates an unsafe environment, which is why Paul comes in and says, shouldn't you guys have mourned that? To see how sin can hurt you and hurt the people around you. As a body of believers, when you see that, shouldn't that break your heart? You know, shouldn't we have not celebrated that? Because sin is something we don't want to partake in. And it's not just saying that, like, if you sin, you'll be kicked out. He's saying if you're okay with sin in your life, then that's going to hurt you. And it's going to hurt the people around you. That's why he talks about the yeast, and he says, don't you know a little, a little dough will just go a long ways? Because if that is allowed to happen throughout the body of believers, it, like, infiltrates itself. I had a friend of mine in, when I was in Colorado who was the soccer coach at the school that I was coaching tennis at, and so our offices were right next to each other. Her name was Renee, and Renee was um, a pretty, pretty intense soccer coach, but had a really intense faith alongside of it. And one of the stories that she told me one time was that on the team when she used to coach in Florida, actually, that there was a girl on one of her teams that just, it wasn't necessarily that she wasn't following directions. It was that she wasn't doing anything, just completely utter, I'm not going to follow the rules. I'm going to do what I want on and off the field. Maybe you guys know that kind of person from sports or from a club or from school or something like that. And it began, it was funny because over time you began to see the team change around her because they would look and say, well, if nothing's going to happen to her, why are we doing what we want to do? And so Renee had to make this decision in her heart. Then this is after a lot of discussion. Hey, You know how this is hurting you and your teammates. You need to commit to this. We all committed to this standard. Another conversation. Another. No. No change. No commitment to that. And so Renee had to make this decision, what was best for that player and what was best for the team. And so Renee called that player in the office and said, I'm going to ask you to step off the team. And so it was one of the most difficult decisions. It's the worst decision you got to have as a coach. But in her heart, she said, you know what? if I really love this player, I'm not going to keep enabling her to keep living this way. I'm going to ask her to leave so that she knows that she can't act like that, not only on a team, but for the rest of her life. And so what ended up happening were two things. One, immediately the team saw that and they respected her even more and said, oh, all right, you do cover us and you really are committed to us. And so they began to play better. It brought health to the team. But she told me four years after that happened, She got an email from that girl she kicked off the team. And the girl said, hey, Coach Lopez, you probably don't remember me. It's da-da-da. And of course she does. And she says, I just want to say thank you for kicking me off that team because it was the best decision you could ever made for my life. After I got off that team, I realized that the way that I was acting wasn't right and it was going to kill me. And so I've made all these decisions since then to get my life on track. And I just want to say thank you for loving me enough to kick me off the team. That was one of the most inspirational things that Renee had heard. See, love isn't just necessarily being nice to each other. Being truly family in Christ is risking our friendships for one another for doing what's right. You see, Paul, in this scripture, what he says, and I want you to look at this as well. He says, when you're assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, he says, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That term, the flesh, refers to the sinful desire. What he says there, he says, you need an American, English, 2017 language. This is what he said. He said, you need to ask him to leave so he knows what he has done is not right so he can repent and come back stronger. That's what Paul said right there. And in fact, in 2 Corinthians 2, if you're really interested in reading it later this week, he actually addresses it later down the road and he says, now I need you to invite that person back so they don't feel like they've been kicked out of church forever, is what they said. And what he says is this, it's so beautiful. He says, we're not unaware of the enemy's schemes. Because we know that when we asked him to leave, there was a temptation to think that he was being excluded from church, but really we were doing this for his good. So in the same way that we asked him to take a step back, we're going to ask him to take a step forward too. Love is this beautiful mix of grace and honesty, grace and truth together, that we're not people that just love each other blindly and lie to one another about the things that are happening. At the same time, we don't hit the whip with one another, with everything that happens. But there's always an extension of grace in everything that we do as well. For us as a church family, it's not that we don't have sin, but it's that we just take it very seriously because we need grace and we know how dangerous it is to live in sin or to tolerate it. You know, this is something that defines us as a group. It's that if someone were to come forward to me and share their sin that it's not anything to look down upon. In fact, it's something to look up upon when someone does that. That's not necessarily unhealthy. It's unhealthy when people lie about their sin, amen? Or it's unhealthy when people go, ah, what's the big deal? And they're destroying themselves and the people around them. Those are things where we get to be honest as a family about the sin that's there. It's not necessarily that we don't have sin. It's that we're being honest about our sin and our shortcomings and our weaknesses that we share with one another. In a way, it's not sin that defines us, but it's how we deal with sin that defines us and makes us a light to the rest of the world. In fact, loving one another as Christians is honesty and grace immediately at the, second, or immediately at the same time. We're a people that pursue Jesus together and show grace and mercy to each other in our own shortcomings because Jesus does the same. Jesus is very honest with people, but Jesus is also very forgiving and merciful with people too. One doesn't necessarily discount the other. God's very honest with you about where you're at, but he's also very loving about it as well. It's what makes God who he is. He's not going to he's not going to play you. You know someone who has talked to you, maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was a leader, or someone or a friend, and you just knew they weren't being honest with you, or you felt like they were holding back from being honest, and you're like, just, just give it to me straight. Like, love me enough to talk to me. God is someone who will shoot you straight, but he'll be there every step of the way for you. He will not shoot you straight and then turn and walk away. God will shoot you straight and then walk side by side with you, and we get to do the same thing for one another as a family of believers. And maybe that's someone here this morning, maybe you don't have those kind of friendships in your own life. Maybe you're someone who has been seeking that out, but hasn't found it. Maybe you have a group of friends here at church, but it doesn't look anything like that. And maybe that's the commitment that you get to make together. But I want to make sure that we talk about the other side of it as well. And the second point of being Jesus to non-believers. And so this one's a little more straightforward, I would just say, um, but extremely important. If you want to know how to be Jesus to people who are not believers, let me just tell you right now, it's simply this. You just love them unconditionally, no matter how they treat you, no matter how they look, no matter how they act, you love them and you lay down your life for them. That is a defining trait of Christians. If you want to know what a Christian looks like, it's people that love those that disagree with them. That's what defines us as Christians in the Scriptures. I combine Scriptures and Christians, the Christians. (laughs) But it's so important. Did you know that if you want to be a leader in a church, in 1 Timothy 3, it actually says, you got to have a good reputation with outsiders so that they won't fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. It's an actual command of leaders that if you want to be a leader in the church, in any form or capacity, that you have to have respect amongst those who are non-believers. That's a pretty powerful statement. And that's something that we get to take seriously in our own lives. Because God takes it seriously in our own. And I would just say, one of the things that Paul touches on here that's so important is that Loving people who don't follow Jesus, it means loving them without judgment. Everybody say judgment. He makes a point to talk about here. He says, I'm not necessarily talking about the people of this world. He says, in that case, you would have to leave the world. Because he's saying, you can't associate with this person right now. And he says, but I just want to clarify. He says, I'm not talking about the world. Because if that was the case, because of the sin in the world around us, you would have to leave The world, you have to go live on Mars, all right? What he's saying is that when it comes to the world around us, he says, even at the end of it, he says, what business is it of mine to judge people outside of the church? How many of you have ever been in a place, maybe as a teacher or a parent, who was like, why didn't you do this? Or like, hey, why haven't you been doing it? And you go, I'm sorry, you never asked me to do that. How many of you like being held to a standard that you never were... Uh, agreed to in the first place. What Paul says here, he says, why are we holding people to the standard of Christ if they never agreed to it? That's an important thing to take note of. And judgment is one of those things that Jesus takes very seriously. And it says, God will judge those outside. God gets to take care of that. That doesn't mean that we don't share our heart with the people around us if they ask us for the hope that we have. But what it means is this it doesn't mean that you get to look down on people around you because of the way that they're living. It doesn't mean that you get to have behavior that puts people away or pushes people away because they don't know Jesus and because they're living like that. You know, I would just say, looking at the world around us, that if I was someone that didn't know Jesus or ever knew Jesus, why would I ever think I'd turn out any differently than them? You know, it's not something to judge them against. In fact, what God would even say in Romans 2, God, or Paul goes on this rant about this is how wicked the world is. This is how it's gone downhill over time. But then immediately, Paul says, he goes, and when you judge the people of the world around you, it's like speaking judgment on yourself. That every time you shake your finger or you, you turn your nose up or judge people, discredit them, it's like you do it to yourself is what God says. That's pretty, that's pretty important, amen? Like that's a really important thing if God says it's going to come back full circle to you if you're being judgmental of the world. And so what it says instead though is that when you get to share your faith in what you believe in, you get to do it lovingly and not at the sacrifice of humanity. In 1 Peter 315 it talks about sharing the hope the hope that we have but it says do it with gentleness and respect can you all say respect with me that word respect it literally means in the greek to accept that's so and so when you share the hope that you have with the people around you it means to accept it means to lift one's face it means to give them the dignity to even look at them did you know that you're supposed to live like that in the world around you um how many of you guys know israel Yeah, a lot of you guys know Israel. Some of you wish you didn't. And so Israel and I are, we love to go to lunch throughout the week. And one of the places that we like to go find is we we search out tacos. You guys love tacos. He loves tacos. Amen. So, but we found this place um, over here called Maria Bonita's and it's a place that we've continued to go over and over. We went a couple times, and then we actually learned um, about the people who own it. There are two people that own it. The owner's name is Ulysses, and then the server's name is Antony. And one of the things that we learned about while we were going there about them, because we had just kind of made small talk. They're like, oh, you again. <laughs> you know, they speak to me in Spanish, and I don't know any Spanish because I'm Italian. <laughs> um, But what we learned about them actually is not that they're Christians. We actually learned that these two guys are married to one another and they're not Christians. And so here we are in this place where we've gone to this restaurant and we're starting a relationship and we've learned that these two people are married to one another. And so you want to know what we did? Want to know what we decided from then on? We're going to continue to go there. In fact, when we walk in, we're going to make sure we ask them how their day is. We're going to look them in the face. We're going to light up when we see them. We're going to tip well. Well, as well as pastors can. Amen? We're going to tip them well. We're going to ask them about their day. They're going to meet my wife later. We're actually going today. And so I'm going to introduce, you know, that kind of stuff. I want them to know who we are. And this is why. Let me tell you why. Maggie, do you want to come back up? And this is why because when it comes to the gospel, your actions go before your words. You will get an opportunity to share the words of Christ with people, but you will always get an opportunity beforehand to show actions to people. Did you know communication 7% verbal? That means you're sending all kinds of messages to people before you actually put into words the things you want to talk about. And they either affirm your words or they make you a hypocrite. And so what do you think would happen if Israel and I found out about that and we said, oh, I can't believe this place. We're gone. We're never going back. In fact, we're going to tell people not to go to it. What kind of message would that send to them? To people who have never agreed to follow Jesus, who don't know the truth and are living in sin, what, what kind of message would that send to them? One of judgment and no love. And so if we ever had the opportunity to say, hey, let us tell you about Jesus who loves you. Oh, you're a Christian? but you don't even love me. But what if it was the other way around? What if our actions went beforehand? So let me ask you, what kind of actions are going forth in your own life right now? Let me ask you something. Everybody put your hand over your mouth. If you could never talk for the rest of your life, what would your life speak to the people around you? Would it speak one of judgment? Would it speak one of hate? Would it speak one of fear? Fear? Or would it speak one of love or humbleness? You guys can go ahead and close your Bibles, close your phones. We're going to close here in prayer in a second. I want you guys don't worry about your neighbors. Why don't you just close your eyes right where you're at because there's a different ways that we're going to respond this morning. Maybe this morning you're here, and when we talked about having friends as believers, you, you know people that go to church, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're following Jesus. And so maybe you're here and you're looking around and you've been going to this church your whole life and you're like, man, I, I don't have friends that are going to push me towards Jesus. I don't have friends who are going to shoot me straight the way that Jesus does. And it starts with being that yourself. It starts with the courage of choosing that yourself. But it also starts with the intentionality of going and finding those friends for your own life. If that's a decision you want to make this morning, that's that's a daily decision. That's not a Sunday morning decision. That's an everyday decision of who you want to pursue and anchor your life with. You put your your life in Jesus, but ultimately, you put it with your family of people around you. Maybe you want to learn how to love like Jesus the people that are in your family. And maybe, too, along with that, you want to love the world the same way that Jesus did Maybe you're someone who, maybe you struggle with judgment of the people around you and you've been judgmental of the people around you and you need to ask for forgiveness this morning of that to judge people that never committed to Christ. But instead, we get to love them and you get to repent and you get to turn to love and say, I'm going to love the people who don't know Christ so that they can know who Christ is by the way I treat them, not just by the words that I say to you. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you have people God have put in your life specifically that you know are don't follow Jesus, but they're right there for you to begin loving and serving. It could be as simple as a class that you have right now. It could be even as something as important as your family and your siblings. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together this morning. God, we ask that you would make us more like your son to those closest to us and those around us. So it's in Jesus' name we pray together. Everyone said, amen.